0: Colossians 4, page 985 in the Pew Bible, which you're definitely going to want open. We're only looking at five verses, but uh, you, you definitely want to have that open to reference as we try to unpack it. We're coming near the close of a study of this book. It's not a book, of course, it's really a letter that Paul inspired of God, the Apostle Paul wrote to a particular church uh, that we well know God intended for us to enjoy. Down through the ages, various followers of Christ have found uh, great encouragement uh, in the context of community about these things. And then we'll make our way, that'll be wrapping up in a couple of weeks, and then in the fall we'll pick back up with our study of the life of David in the Old Testament narrative of 2 Samuel. So if you want to read in anticipation of that, then by all means go right ahead. Uh, Just to review again the first part of this letter, there are four chapters in Colossians, and in the opening of the letter uh, we see uh, things that are are harder to understand uh, but easy, uh, easier to uh, incorporate into our life the latter half of the book we find things that are a little bit easier to understand but they're harder to uh, work into our life so to speak and that's because uh, like the pattern flows so often in uh, god's word in new testament writing in particular what you see is there's an indicative that precedes an imperative uh, the indicative is what has god done Uh, How has he worked? Who is he? What is his character? And then the imperative is, what do we do? Uh, How do we respond? But it's always in that order, as it should be, that we're in response by faith with gratitude in our hearts. We are responding to what God has done, uh, what God has provided, the the sweet blessings that we have. We've talked about being uh, united to Christ. I'll give you an example. Last week, uh, it was... uh, that was well. Even in the, even in the previous part of the book, we read in Colossians two that there's this profound mystery that he talks about in Colossians two verse thirteen. And you were dead in your trespasses, but God has made you alive together with Him in Christ. And so, what do we say? And He has forgiven us of all of our trespasses and sins. Paul reminded us that's what God has done. And then that's. That's sweet, and that's, that's something that's a, a profound mystery that we could uh, contemplate, but he doesn't stop there. And in, this, in the latter portion of the text, we're running into, now, what should we do? And last week, it was uh, Colossians 3, we should submit. We should submit to our husband. Uh, we should submit to our boss. Parents, children should obey their parents uh, in the Lord. And those are some of the the difficult things that we must work out in the context of obedience and response. There's another one, uh, of course, we see also that last week uh, we were told in Colossians 3 that we should forgive one another. And that's easier said than done, but it says there, Bearing with each other, forgiving as the Lord forgave you. So again, the reference point is not the worthiness of the person we're supposed to forgive or the ability of the person who's trying to forgive. The reference point is the person and work of Jesus. And that's the case all throughout. It's all about our life being hidden with Christ that we are united to Him. Some of those things are uncomfortable for us. For, you know that we would be called into action and uh, in response and in steps of obedience in those imperatives, but I remember last week. Many of you this particular week have come to me and said, it really meant a lot for us to draw that point out about, for instance, submission being actually focused, again, not on the worthiness of people, but on the person of Jesus. Because even when it comes to uh, submitting or surrendering to someone who has authority or leadership responsibility over us, that we should be able to do that because Christ himself did that. And many of you have noted this past week that that was meaningful because... Christ is the reference point, doesn't lose any of his authority. He doesn't, he doesn't set aside any of his divinity, Paul makes that clear, when he does submit to the will and to the, uh, the call, the plan of the Heavenly Father. So for any of us to say, I entrust myself underneath something, isn't denying our dignity, our value, our worth, even our equality with other people who are made in God's image. If I choose to submit to a a supervisor, then it doesn't uh, exalt them and demote me. It's just recognizing sometimes part of God's order. Today we're going to talk about uh, a a, a very small part that has a very large effect uh, on our lives, a very powerful thing, and that is the tongue. Over the years, I've reminded... uh, Uh, some of our kids, uh, the, the ones who are more like me and less like Krista, that this is a very important thing. And I say, would you just pull that out of your mouth and just hold on to that thing right there? What is that called? And I make them say it sometimes with their hands plugged on it. And they'll say, it's a rudder. I say, just say it one more time. It's a rudder. That's right. Because James chapter three says that the tongue is like a rudder. It could take an entire ship and redirect it another way. And so if you want, you think about just how uh, it relates to our speech, that our, our tongue can get us into trouble, or it can get us into you know, life-giving opportunities. It is something of uh, a very small but important thing that can get us into navigating the trials uh, of life and navigating relationships. It's very important. Uh, so let me invite you to stand. This is God's Word, and in honor of it, let's hear it. These four or five verses, beginning with chapter 4, verse 2. Hear this. This is the Word of God. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. I'm going to ask for his help. Simply put, uh, Lord, forgive us uh, our sins. Would you mercifully... Uh, Clear uh, our minds, our hearts, our ears that we might hear, that we might even recognize your voice, return to you and leave here with more faith and with more thanksgiving. This we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. American history alone has tons of great uh, biographies, and uh, one of those is uh, Helen Keller. She's uh, one of the people that uh, you know. As many of you know, was an author and uh, an activist, a, you know, an advocate for people with disabilities. She lost her sight. I had to go back and look at it this week. Look it up. It was at 19 months old. She suffered a bout of some type of illness that left her both deaf and blind. We're inclined to say that uh, we 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 assume, right? You know, when we hear biographies that uh, we are inclined to say or think or assume that those biographies are best and we enjoy them more if we can locate ourselves in the story right like if, if someone has points of contact and, and references and things that overlap with our world and you for me in particular i might look at helen keller's uh, life you know uh, she lived you know around the turn of the 20th century uh, you know this is a different era this is a person that i can't identify with after all i i am able to see like most of us and able to hear But hear this, and maybe you will find part of yourself in her story as a point of contact uh, and reference, even if just metaphorically, because she wrote in her autobiography about the story of her life, she said, sometimes it is true. It is true a sense of isolation enfolds me like a cold mist as I sit alone and wait at life's shut gate. Beyond there is light and music and sweet companionship. But I may not enter. Silence sits immensely upon my soul. It's it's like the isolation she feels is like a cold mist. What causes that? Well, for her, it's very obvious she has these limitations. She She had physical barriers that had inhibited her ability to connect with others. But why might we see or sense or experience a similar isolation? in relationships. I mean, even for people who are hearing impaired and have some of these difficulties, the advancement of technology and medicine has left us in a place where many of those feel less isolated. Why would any of us in all of the avenues and all of the abilities and ways that we can connect with people? And there's other parts of technology, right? There's that aspect of technology where we can talk to someone halfway around the world uh, in a different time zone in a moment's notice at no cost to us. Our kids still find it hard to believe <laughs> that there was a day when we would uh, limit our conversations with people, you know, who were out of town with this calling card and all that kind of thing. And now we have, uh, you know, the ability uh, to fly and to get on Zoom calls or whatever. Why would people feel in some way, shape or form isolated? Well, there are times, of course, that we don't have physical barriers, but we have spiritual barriers. Why is it that we at times, the psalmist himself included, feel isolated? From God, from others. As one commentator put it this week, David Garland, he says, Christ, there's good news for that. If that alienation, if that isolation ex- experience exists for us, even in a small window, there is great hope for us. There is actually good news, very good news. And the good news is this. Christ has broken down, Garland writes, the barriers of sin that bar us from God's presence, isolates us from others, and imprisons us in our own little hell. Christ invites all of us to enter His light and His sweet companionship. But He invites them, them meaning others, through us. Christians should never forget that the grace given to us was intended to be passed on to other people. Amen? So I've heard it said uh, you know, you, over a number of years in different contexts that if you want to make Christians feel guilty about obedience, all you have to do is bring up two subjects. One of those is prayer, and the other one is witnessing, sharing your faith. Okay, if you want to go down to Vacation Bible School right now, that is totally acceptable, but that's where we're going because this is a passage that speaks to both of those, even in these five short verses. It's the matter of our speech. The headings that I put there in the order of service, I don't know that I'll follow them exactly, but they're so uh, directed that I see them from the text. He's talking to us about speech, specifically talking to God about others, and then the the last two verses are talking to others about God. It's not original to me. I I heard that spun that way. I like it. Talking to, first of all, God about others. We should seek God continually, steadfast, he says there in verse 2, with prayer. And that prayer should be marked by different things. I know I've mentioned it over the years, but prayer is the language of faith. Okay? Prayer is the language of faith, and it is a language that we never speak fluently doesn't mean we don't practice it. It doesn't mean that we don't engage in it. But it is never a language that we manage to speak fluently. Speaking with, uh, you know, just just speaking to God is is work at times. I trust that You're there, God. I, I trust that if I seek You and I worship You and I cry out to You, that things change. That You are good. Prayer is the language of faith. And yet... We will always be practicing. We will always be seeing in a mirror dimly. But then someday we shall see him, the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere, face to face. The same can be said about sharing our faith. We call it evangelism, sharing the good news with others. That, too, is a a form of speech. It's a form. It's a language that we are invited to speak, but we will never speak fluently. Speaking at all times with Uh, Wisdom and grace about Jesus with other people. That too needs practice. Now I don't mean to say, oh well you need to improve so that your prayers will be answered. You become good at the the outworkings of prayer and then someday it will be as if it's easy and God gives you everything you want. It's not like that. God wants us, even when our performance feels lame and fumbling and we're, we're lacking words and we're struggling to talk and pray to God, that He still wants to hear from His sons and His daughters. The Heavenly Father wants to hear. from us. We could be confused. We, we could be asking questions that we're so deeply puzzled, even frustrated about. But no, the good news is is that there's no isolation that Christ has opened the way for us to be able to call upon the Heavenly Father. Fluently means speaking not only with confidence, but fluently would, would give the impression that you speak it with ease, almost effortless, effortlessly. For most people, prayer is hard. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament is Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. (laughs) Dude, if they need to know and they've been walking with Jesus for years and they're struggling and they need need guidance, I can identify. I want to know. Well, that's when he goes into Luke's record of it, at least of the Lord's Prayer, which we will affirm here in a second. You all have it, probably. Most of you. It's okay if you don't. But the Lord's Prayer, which is a a gift to us. It's an outline of the fashion by which we go about approaching our Heavenly Father. There's different elements to that. If you want to pray for someone, sometimes it's just best to open up the Lord's Prayer and just use it as a guide. Pause periodically and pray these things. Lord, give so-and-so their daily bread. Lord, help them to experience your forgiveness as they forgive others. You fill in the blank. What Paul is calling us to here is not easy. I guess that's part of the point, though. That's why we are dependent. We cry out to God, Lord, I I need help. I need strength. I need aid. I'm, I'm not independent. I am dependent upon you. And then there's this whole thing of being steadfast. That he says there in verse 2, the nature of our prayer should be steadfast, that we should be a people who are persevering in prayer. And the characteristics that he mentioned there is that we would be steadfast both in two, two ways, that we would also be watchful and that we would be thankful. He says both those in those opening verses that we would be both watchful with anticipation and that we would be thankful in the context of offering our prayers to God. When I find myself in a, a hard place emotionally or, uh, or otherwise in my outlook, sometimes I just need to ask people to pray. For what? Pray that I'll pray. <laughs> Some of you have heard that. Pastor, how can I pray for you? Uh, pray that I will pray. Pray that God will teach me more and more about a prayerful Dependence. At the very least, when I talk to God and stop trying to work on uh, trying to fix things in the context of my prayer, I do two things. And I'm not saying this is the right thing. It's just something that's helpful to me. I found it really hard to do it this past week. If you've endeavored to pray, even if you just set aside, let's say, 10 minutes in prayer. Often, it's best for me, because of the distractions and because of all the, the, the ways that I'm, I might uh, track in my mind, is to set out a piece of paper. That piece of paper oftentimes serves one of two purposes. And that is, one. sometimes I think all the things that I need to follow up with, so-and-so I need to reach out to, so-and-so, uh, this, this task I've got to get done by the end of the day. So I just write it on the piece of paper and I leave it there. <laughs> If something comes to mind that I need to think about later, I don't think about it then. I write it down and remind myself later. The other reason that I often have a piece of prayer, uh, a piece of paper with prayer is so that I can write out my prayer. I'm not trying to keep a journal. I oftentimes just throw it away. But it helps me to main, maintain a stream of consciousness. I'm not worried about grammar. My wife might say I never worry about grammar <laughs> when it comes to writing. Uh, do, do you ever, Troy, proofread your emails? Uh, I don't. But sometimes the noise is there and it helps me. Sometimes the noise is so heavy that even a piece of paper in front of me doesn't help. So I go on walks and there's people in our backwoods that have seen me talking to myself and that's a little scary for them. But Paul used to be my neighbor and he's laughing. Um, I, I do, I, I, I walk and, uh, and I pray. And sometimes I don't try to focus on specifics except for thanksgiving and that's an an activity where I'm not trying to fix anything and I'm not trying to confess anything and I'm not trying to fix anybody else and I'm I'm not trying to be super spiritual I'm just trying to find myself grateful for something and in walking in the woods I start saying God thank you I, I don't know what else to say thank you for the sounds of these birds God thank you that I'm able to walk God thank you for the people that you've put in my life most of them Father, thank you for, <laughs> Father, thank you for you, you. don't. You're laughing because you say the same thing to yourself. But I thank you, God, for your, the hope that you've given me. Lord, I thank you that there are people that have prayed for me. Lord, I'm thankful today that I have an inheritance that can't it can't be spoiled. It can't fade. It's kept for me. God, I'm thankful for grace, past grace, present grace, future grace. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't. He struggled the same way that I did, but he didn't sin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you go back in Colossians 3, verse 15, 16, 17, every single one of those verses, Paul mentions that posture in prayer of thanksgiving. Well, back to our text here in chapter 4, verse 3. At the same time, he says, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ What's the mission of the church? The mission of the church, uh, well, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not particular to ours. It's not unique to any. It's Jesus' words right before his ascension when he says to go, therefore, and to make disciples. You've been given authority. You've been given power. You've been commissioned. A great commission it is. The great commandment is to love one another. The great, the great commission is to go and to make disciples, to share about the love of God. Of Christ and His truth with others. Well, let's keep reading. Verse four, along those same lines, he's saying, "Pray for a door to be opened." Verse three, that I may make it clear the preaching that is of the mystery of the gospel. That I may make it clear. Verse four, which is what and how I ought to speak. He says, "Pray for open doors." Have you done that? Have you have you prayed for open doors? I, it, it happens from time to time in the fall or as we get closer to the fall, I think about the time that we moved up here 12, 13 years ago, only knowing a, 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 you know, a handful of, of families that were already precious and dear to us, uh, but we didn't know anyone and we're transitioning and we ask friends and, and our, our home church in North Carolina, a variety of people that we'd known down the years to to support us. And part of that was asking them to pray for us. That was the first thing that I pursued was people to pray for us and, from time to time, I would send out a little update and say, Hey, you know, the time has come. We've, we've got enough raised. We've got the, 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 the trucks all packed up. And, uh, and we're moving to Massachusetts. And I specifically asked, I think it was sometime in October, for people to pray for that transition and for relationships in our neighborhood. A couple of months later, Robin... Right. Walked in our house and she said, Robin, who was training to be an attorney, who was Jewish. uh, She looked at us and said, I don't know, particularly to Krista. Help me. I I, I don't know what you have, but I need it. And I want to I want to learn about Jesus. And we laid the gospel out and along with others, began going to worship. She and Greg and and their family, and she was baptized and began to follow Jesus. A friend of mine, Jeff, wrote back, I was specifically praying that you would build relationships in Massachusetts, that you would have meaningful conversations with non-Christians, and that God would gather people to gain momentum for the church. We're happy, Troy, to be a part of it, at least at a distance. Please know that we're praying for your whole family. Open doors. Robin was our neighbor just a few doors down. But when we ask for God to open doors, we're not saying, God, I want you to open up my dreams. I want you to, to, I want you to just... The, the vista of my prosperity... Please, let me visualize this great success that you have. No, it's actually that the gospel will go forward. It's why every Thursday morning when we pray as a church, we always list some area in the world that is an unreached people group and some other part cross-culturally, that we would specifically lift those people up in prayer, that God would send pioneers, trailblazers, the Word of God... It, some avenue for the gospel and the church to be there. As a church, we financially support, uh, we have supported over the years different networks uh, for the sake of church planting. And uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll speak to that in, in a second. But specifically, we are now supporting a thing called the New England Church Planting Network. I happen to be on the on the board of it. And I've prayed with those guys. I've prayed with them about God raising up more laborers or God bring, bring renewal. It's just, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're just trying with limited resources and lots of plans and lots of dreams. But you know, there's, you know, post COVID it's been hard to get some momentum for it. And we've invested in this in some time. And there's times when I, I I'm sure we get together and I, and we pray about it and I, I, I pray out of duty, but I don't pray as Paul does here. Watchful with anticipation, and I felt a little bit of a rebuke this week, even when I was kind of, you know, down about things. I got a phone call from a guy who's a, who's a seasoned pastor. And he says, I am sensing a call to come back to my home, my home region of New Hampshire and plant a church in Portsmouth. And I want your advice and I'd, lo- I'd love for, you, for your help. And could you, could you guide me? And I'd love to plant a PCA church there. We had gone through like months of process trying to find a guy, interviewed someone, and it all fell apart. And I had just given up every bit of hope. And this guy just calls out of the blue, almost out of the blue. Thank you, God. It refreshed me. It reminded me. We pray for open doors. We pray for people's hearts to be soft to Christ. God works through prayers. He also works through people, through ambassadors, through messengers, people like you. So we're talking, now I'm already making that transition because we're talking to God about people and open doors and we're talking to Him about life and and trusting Him with all those details. But He's also saying here, you're supposed to, in response to all that Jesus has done for you, talk to others about God. So now, and they're both related, right? Because if you begin to pray for people, for others, you find it more naturally and compelling to speak with them. Now you can imagine, as Paul writes this letter, we, uh, we, he's writing from prison all the way over, sent this letter uh, to the church in Colossae in a region, in a time in the ancient Near Eastern world, when the early church experienced all kinds of hostility. All kinds of people who misunderstood them, uh, you know, misinterpreted things, and, uh, and they were the minority, way, 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 big time. At times they were despised and persecuted. Sharing about Jesus in certain places and times with certain people is not always a way to win friends and influence people. Right? <laughs> Sharing Jesus sometimes, you, it, then and now, uh, you get met with resistance, if not hostility. Just ask Paul, right? He, he, he's in prison right now because he was preaching this gospel. Which clarifies part of the hope that we have, 2 Timothy Paul writes, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So when, not if, we talk to others about Jesus, we don't have that threat not living where we live. You know, in our current context, we don't have the fear of being robbed of our job or being, you know, imprisoned for living for or speaking about Christ? Why is it then? If we're not penalized, if there are no major threats, then why are we fearful? Why at times about our faith, not not even trying to confront someone about their life, but just talking openly about what God has done in your life and making it even specific enough to say, Jesus or the Scriptures mean this to me, why is it that we are shy or timid? Even amongst trusted friends, perhaps. Sometimes, especially amongst trusted friends. Well, you might have two or three reasons that you would offer as an explanation for why it is that you find it difficult. But I suspect that those reasons you may be less inclined to bring up if the Lord Jesus were to ask you, why have you been timid? It's something worth thinking about, right? There are times when we need, of course, to be Appropriate, careful, diplomatic. That's one of the reasons he says it should be seasoned a particular way. Elsewhere, he says, give an answer with gentleness. So there are times, right? There are times that you would say, uh, this is not the right time for me to talk about Jesus. I mean, if, if, if it's not your job, wait till lunch break, you know. <laughs> uh, that, there's opportunities to do that. And if it's appropriate, great. And there are times we know that it may not be. But in the normal course, when we do have that freedom, what should it look like? What should it sound like? What are some of the characteristics? Well, Paul's given us a few. There are others, of course, but here are just two or three that he would suggest should characterize it. Wisdom, grace, and salt, he says. They're they're right there, verse 5 and 6. Wisdom, graciousness, and salt. First of all, Make the best uh, make make the best use of your time. Seize the moment and be wise with outsiders. He says in verse five. So, in other words, in the context of relationship and conversation, ask questions, engage, listen to people. People enjoy talking about themselves. This is not. I'm not giving you a. This is not a seminar on how to influence people and do sales. Maybe you could turn it that way. I don't know. But people like to talk about their story and ask questions and lean into it and find out more. Be curious about people. Even if you're a shy person, we can be curious. Look for creative ways. Pray about creative ways that you could, in wisdom, tie together how God has impacted your life. It doesn't have to be pointing out what's missing in their life. Perhaps it's just talking about what God's done in yours creative ways to talk about how God's promises, God's forgiveness, God's love has impacted you. Maybe tomorrow, it's Monday, and someone says, "Hey, how was your weekend?" "It was great." I went to church. Maybe you should come sometime. You never know. The power of a simple invitation. Would you read God's would you read this Bible verse with me? Would you read this this book with me? Would you consider the claims of Christ. He's changed my life. Maybe he would help yours. The second characteristic, in addition to being wise and seizing those opportunities, is to be gracious in our speech. That's what he says in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. What does that mean? Amongst other things, maybe another way to phrase it is, do you have friends not 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 just friends that think like you, act like you, believe like you. Do you have friends in your life who are Christians and non-Christians? Do you have, friend, do you have friends in your life that are completely aligned differently on those hot topics? People who have a different socioeconomic, you know, standing, position. Do you have those type of friends? Part of being a gracious person is, is is noted in who you cultivate relationships and you're able to connect with. Much more to be said about that. Well, let's move on. What's the other characteristic of our speech with others? That it's salty. No, that doesn't mean f-bombs, you New Englanders. <laughs> I got, boy, I tell you what, 13 years ago when I moved to New England, I definitely got a, a sense of salty speech. Salty means relevant. Salty means speaking in the vernacular. We're not get, we're not we're not getting up into this lofty realm. I'm guilty of that sometimes. I, get, I turn into the preacher, you know, uh, uh, you know, just sitting at a uh, you know a coffee shop, maybe. But but just that 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 relatable, relevant speech. That's the saltiness that people connect with. You guys are, you, you, you know, I, you, sometimes you think, I, I sometimes envy your position and the ability to connect with people. And they say, why are you talking to me about Jesus? You're not even a professional religious person. They expect that from me. It's beautiful when it comes from you, especially when it's marked with these things, wisdom, grace, and salt. So there we are. I cringe thinking about the times that I've, gossiped about people instead of praying for them. I I cringe thinking about how I've not seized the moment with grace and salt and, and wisdom, and I've just boasted about my story or my thoughts or my accomplishments or my opinions instead of listening and encouraging and building up people. Where's the rudder taking you? Well, hopefully it's talking about God Excuse me, talking to God about people and talking about God to people. I struggle with both. This past week, the Lord rebuked me in His mercy. Have you ever had that happen where God kind of shows you His cards? And He didn't have to. He could have just let you go on suffering and self-pity or uh, whatever. And He says, no, 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 no. You thought I wasn't in control and you thought I wasn't good and you thought this, but I... I just want you to come take a look at this. Here's what I've been up to. This is what I've been working on. And that was partly the case with this guy that was going to go, uh, who desires to go plant a church in New Hampshire. It makes me so excited. It literally made my entire day. Well, nothing could top uh, that hardly, I thought, except I ran into my friend Todd. And I see him on a, on a fairly uh, a relatively frequent basis, except I haven't seen him in months. I've walked with him for years. On a regular uh, the guy's had many hardships, he's had many complaints. He's lost many friends, some of those because of his emotions, sometimes because of his addictions. And I just ask questions and do a lot of listening, and he unloads and shares things. He's lost his wife over the 10 years I've known him. He's lost his wife, and he's estranged from his own children. Some of you have prayed for him by name. I've asked you to. I've prayed for him. I've talked to him. I've given him books. I've, uh, I, he's, he's listened to, to sermons that I've preached. Not, not in person, but on, online. Nothing. Nothing. I saw him this week. He's been away. He's, he's in recovery. He looked at me straight in the face and he said... And the most humble tone I've ever heard in all the years that I've known him, he says, Troy, it's happened. I believe in God and I'm praying for the first time in my life. What did you say? I I probably have given up praying. It's not been on my list recently. Honestly, it hasn't. He's fighting sobriety, but I reminded him he's not alone. I should be more watchful. What about you? I should have more anticipation in prayer. Like verse 2 says, watchful. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I give up in prayer and witnessing and sharing. and, And yes, we do need the good news. We need the good news to go out with clarity, Paul says here, and with things like civility. And even when it does, even when it does, it doesn't mean that it'll be accepted, welcomed, received, warmly. Many will choose to reject it. But here's the good news. And sometimes people will receive it as good news and yet others not. I look at some of my friends and I that, that I meet in the community I've known over the years and I say they'll say what's up and I'll say God loves sinners. They always envision that's someone horrible. I look at them and say, Like me and like you. God loves sinners. Specifically, people who sin in their speech and in their silence. In fact, God loves him so much that he came and was obedient and perseverant in prayer. He came as as a man full of wisdom and words and salt and graciousness. And Paul is calling us to do the same thing. Peter has the perfect reference point and invitation that kind of speaks to this text in stereo. I'll read it and then I'm going to pray. 1 Peter 2, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He, that is Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, yet he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting him to him who judges justly. He, Christ, bore our sin, not his, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Thanks be to God. Father, we do look to you and prayer. With thanks, obviously, it's very fitting that we should close in prayer. Lord, would you please give us uh, the humility to receive your word The faith to walk in your ways. Give us, give us, Lord, boldness and humility to every person here to live out the gospel in their daily lives. Mine. Lord, help us to talk to you more and talk about you more. I pray that you'd give us words. I pray you would give us opportunities and you would give us uh, divine appointments. Lord, I pray today for various people who are struggling, who are suffering find themselves battling because of alienation or loneliness. I pray for people who do feel isolated because they're in prison or they're deployed or they're battling mental illness. Lord, I pray for those who are are heading off soon. Even this very week, I'm reminded that Luke's heading off to college. Robbie, Henry's heading off. They're both for the first time. Lord, go ahead of them, even as we prayed last week for Malachi, that you would grant them friends and opportunities, that they would grow and follow you and join your church while they're in school and studying. Lord, we pray for our young ones today as they're learning more about the culture and the time, the, the characters, the details of Esther and Mordecai, the people of Israel, the needs but Lord, I pray that they would see and cherish you, their maker, and your son, our redeemer. Guide us, we pray. We do want to be a people of thanksgiving, so help us to walk in it. Thank you most of all for Jesus. We pray in his name. Even now, as he taught his disciples, praying together, saying... "Our."